0: This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the new relaunched Challenging Opinions podcast. Every Monday, I'll be bringing you brand new content, but as part of the relaunch, I'm including previous interviews in this feed, like this one with Dr. Jerome Hoyler, He's a former university professor and the author of books, including Everything You Have, The Case Against Welfare. I hope you enjoy the interview. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested, whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic. What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. Make your view heard and get it included in the next show. Email your opinion to podcast at challengingopinions.com and we can discuss it in the next podcast.
1: On the line, I have Dr. Jerome Heiler, who is a former assistant professor at Seton Hall University. He's also the author of a number of books, including one called Everything You Have, The Case Against Welfare. Uh, Jerome, what's The Case Against Welfare? You've written it in a book. Can you give it to me in a couple of sentences?
2: Uh, Yes. First of all, um, uh, first thing to say is that I, when most people think of welfare or talk of welfare, they can think of the anti-poverty programs. Uh, My conception of welfare is far broader. I divide every um, function government can perform into one of two categories. Government can act as our protector or as a provider. As a protector, government um, uh, is responsible for national defense and homeland security. It involves a strong military, intelligence services, investigative agencies like the FBI, a system of criminal justice and civil justice all the judges and jails we need to keep uh, criminals uh, away from innocent people. Mm-hmm. But that is all g- government need do as a protector. Once a government uh, goes beyond that, not to protect all of us in the enjoyment of what is ours, but to benefit some at others' expense, then what the government is doing is acting not as a protector but a provider and I choose to call what it's providing welfare, regardless who the beneficiary is. So that welfare uh, includes farm subsidies, uh, business subsidies, um, of all descriptions, a protective tariff, which helps um, domestic manufacturers but raises the cost of living for everything else, is as much a welfare program as is... Medicaid or uh, housing subsidies or food stamps and the like.
1: Okay, so you, so you draw a very you define welfare very broadly. Why do you think it's wrong?
2: Um, for a wide variety of reasons.
1: Give us the top three.
2: Okay. Um, first of all, um, once a nation decides that some of its citizens have a right not to go out and get but to sit still and be given, the, that nation finds itself torn by two questions who should be given and how much should they get there's only one answer politics in other words as government decides that some of the citizens have a right to some form of welfare benefit or assistance every other group begins clamoring for the forms of assistance it wants and there's no way of uh, stopping the flow of additional welfare programs which means The expense of government necessarily grows larger and larger to the point today where we have $70 billion a year budget deficits, where we have an accumulated debt of $18 trillion. In order to finance all of that spending, by the way, 80% of the federal budget these days um, goes to what I regard as welfare services. A mere 20% is all it takes to support the national defense the military all branches of the armed forces and everything uh, the criminal justice system add that together it's 20 cents on every dollar government spending
1: okay so how would so if if you're opposed to welfare in all its forms what would you how would you allow society to just cast aside people for example because perhaps of birth uh, defect or injury have no capability of providing for themselves
2: no, but I say that um, in any generation there are a very small number of individuals who can be described in the terms you just described them. In other words, that represents a very few people. And my uh, a deeper point I make is that in a free and therefore low tax, no deficit environment, which would be a very prosperous environment, there will always be sufficient benevolence, generosity, and goodwill to care for those uh, who truly can't care for themselves and who need help. Anyone who says that without a welfare state, these individuals, these unfortunate individuals will perish for want of a helping hand, is committing a libel, unsupported by even a smidgen of historical evidence. No,
1: I'm just I'm just trying to I'm trying to clarify.
2: let, let me add this. Go ahead. We are the most generous people who the most generous, caring and giving people who've ever peopled the planet. And the evidence is all around us of the phil- philanthropic and charitable work that we do to help those who are truly in need of help.
1: That, that's true. There's, there's a lot of charity. But just to clarify, you are saying that people who, because of uh, whatever ailment or injury, are unable to provide for themselves, you do say that the state should not provide for them. It should be charity, individual, private um, charitable donations that should be used to provide for those people. That is correct. Okay. Um, The problem that I think arises with that sometimes is that when, that charitable donations can be made on quite capricious grounds and people often have very great misunderstandings and misapprehensions as to uh, need and uh, cost, and how much uh, different um, causes need to be funded and how much they actually are funded. A, a previous uh, person I spoke to pointed out that, for example, when you poll the American people and ask them how much they think foreign aid uh, is part of the U.S. Um, government budget. They typically say somewhere between 10 and 25%. The true answer is less than 1%. Don't you think that there's a danger that people, that when, that if those sort of provisions were relying on charity solely, that that might lead to a very serious misallocation of resources?
2: Uh, no, I don't have any fear of that whatsoever. Um, given the history of, uh, of charitable efforts in this country, the marvelous uh, religious organizations and secular organizations that do good work in the community um, uh, in, in every aspect of, of need. Um, I recommend the book called The Tragedy of American Compassion um, by a... a uh, I'm not thinking of his name for a second, but he documents not only today but through the early 1800s the charitable organizations that work to uh, keep families together, to do the work that's necessary. In other words, if there is a need, as a matter of fact, uh, I go back to what I do in the uh, last chapter of the book. I think there is a uh, a definite metaphysical component as to why charity is offered. Um, and it's the idea of justice. If someone is suffering through no fault of their own, um, that is an injustice in the world. Uh, a young person should not be orphaned because parents uh, die in a car accident or something. And if a little help, a helping hand, can be given to reverse that horrible injustice, well, that's what human nature um, uh, 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 asks of us, and that's what we provide you you'd hope so
1: but hold on for one second there is nothing there's no law against charity at the moment many people might feel that because they pay taxes they shouldn't need to make such great charitable donations although as you point out people still do make charitable donations uh, their taxes notwithstanding but for example of
2: billions of dollars a year
1: yeah that's true but for example um Homes for children who have, uh, who are outside the care of their parents for whatever reason, that's to say, state and federally funded uh, children's homes have terrible funding problems. There's nothing to stop a charitable uh, uh, foundation from creating better homes, uh, uh, better children's homes. That generally doesn't happen, and childcare in the United States, both public and private, is not good.
2: Um, Well, uh, it is child care that is needed because of a uh, 60-year-old system of... Sure, but why ever it's it's needed, the need is there. So many parents who are not able to afford to have children, have children, because a welfare system gives them every incentive and every advantage if they have children. They get Section 8 housing. They get food stamps. They get Medicaid. They get SNAP programs, supplemental nutrition um, for needy families. Um, so So many enticements are created by the social welfare state to bring children in the world who... Otherwise, if the parents had to take full financial and emotional responsibility, probably would never have the children in most cases.
1: That's possibly true, but nevertheless, there are many children in a very bad situation today in the United States. There are children who live in very uh, desolate, derelict care homes. There's nothing stopping charities offering a a better alternative, and there isn't, uh, apparently, a sufficient charitable uh, momentum to do that.
2: Well, again, we're dealing with 60 years where we've uh, established perverse incentives that allow, as Jesse Jackson says, children having children. Mm -hmm. And they are incentivized to do that because as soon as they have a child, um, uh, they are given uh, free housing, they're given food stamps, Medicaid uh, 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 attention, and all the social services that serve as a perverse incentives.
1: Th- then I have, a qu- I have a question for you, and you, you kind of very clearly identify what you see as the problem and what you're against. How do we get from here to there?
2: Um, well, uh, it isn't going to be easy. The solution, as I see it, to reduce deficit to eliminate deficits to reduce spending to dramatically cut taxes, and therefore raise opportunities for everyone, including the poor, um, that is the goal. It can be done. The si- simple answer is if um, uh, this nation would mount what I call a national welfare revolt, we would then vote people into office and send our representatives to Washington under instruction to handle two priorities. One, to shore up, excuse me, to shore up our national defense, which I believe is in desperate need of shoring up, and two, to cut programs and close agencies, bureaus, and cabinet departments with all due haste as far and as fast as possible, leaving Social Security and Medicare to the end. There are some basis for acknowledging them as entitlements, but the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Education, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Labor, all of the business subsidies, the forms of aid given to financial institutions and encouraging bubbles in the stock market, um, if Americans see welfare in terms of this broad array of government functions and send begin sending representatives to Washington with the explicit instruction and priority to close these agencies, to cut these programs. Um, it would create great dislocation.
1: So then one last question, one last question, uh, Jerome. In the current context, in the world today, are you aware of any country that is following a prescription that is even close to what you would advise?
2: Um, Well, Canada seems to be uh, run by a a conservative administration, um, and uh, but but there's no express, explicit campaign against the welfare state being conducted uh, as far as I can see. A lot of European countries, and Canada included, are seeing uh, the devastation wrought by the welfare state policies and are trying to reverse it. But, of course, the great problem is, um,
1: but you, you, don't have a, you don't have a model working that you would say that's where we want to get to?
2: Uh, no, but you have a model where you have those states that provide fewer welfare services are doing far better than those states and cities that are rife with welfare services like Detroit, like Chicago, um, Detroit in bankruptcy, places in California that have already declared uh, bankruptcy, municipalities like uh, San Bernardino.
1: Dr. Jerome Hoyler, former assistant professor at Seton Hall University, also the author of Everything You Have, The Case Against Welfare. Thank you very much for
2: talking to me. Thank you, William. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. What's your opinion? Can you explain
0: it on the next show? Email podcast at challengingopinions.com. I have links in the show notes to Jerome's books and to other references for things we were talking about. Do you know someone who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd really be interested to hear your feedback. If you like the podcast, there's one thing that you can do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating, and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook, and on Twitter you can follow the show at ChallengingO. And most importantly, subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use iTunes if you use Apple products, or Google Play Music if you're on Android. There's links for both of these, and the RSS feed if you're old school you can find them or get in touch with me at www.changingopinions.com the changing opinions podcast is produced and presented by me william campbell thank you for listening